0: Look hey Dude, I look like Mark Marin. <laughs> so it's it's honestly it's way less. After you told me what you were doing, I was really expecting <laughs> the Wild Man of Borneo. Uh no, I was expecting like I told you, I was expecting uh season six breaking bad Walter White. <laughs> that's what I was expecting. Because that's when he goes to Vermont and you know. I actually just interviewed um Alan Sepinwall for Tune Up Podcast, who uh, was the he's the, he's a TV writer for Rolling Stone and wrote like the book about the Sopranos. Very cool dude. And we got him on. And one of my major questions was kind of like trying to reconcile what the hell happened in like the last two episodes of Breaking Bad. Some stuff that's really bothered me. So I haven't seen all of Breaking Bad Okay, I mean, I don't mind spoiling it since it's like, you know, (laughs) ended like a decade ago. But uh, so you'll catch up. But I mean, at one point, he's basically like the most wanted man in America. And he kind of like drives just an old shitty car from New Mexico to Vermont with like no problems whatsoever, which. (laughs) And then they don't say any part of the trip, nothing. He just like arrives there. I'm like, yeah, oh, that seems strange. And then I really have a problem with like the last scene of Breaking Bad. So, if you haven't seen it, basically, you know, Walter White, as he goes on, turns into one of the most like notorious criminals in the U.S., I mean, Mexico too. And then he blows up Mexican drug lords. Oh, you know, shit. he's like, he's like crazy. Okay. And in the last scene, He literally drives into, like, a neo-Nazi compound who are his enemies, and they don't check his trunk when he drives it. And in the trunk, he has some, like, insane automatic weapon connected to a, you know, a circular pivoting system on a remote control where he kills like 14 Nazis just by like pressing a button and ducking on the ground. And it's always bothered me. I'm like, listen, I know like rule of thumb, Nazis are dumb, but they're, they're career criminals. And this guy is like one of the most dangerous men in America. And you didn't check his trunk. You just gave him like a little pat down on his way in. I'm like, this is such a brilliant show. That, like, this seems like an oversight. It never made sense to me, you know? And what was funny, he gave me some good insight, though, on this. Sepinwall, he told me that it was in the spirit of Breaking Bad to basically write things in before they knew what they were going to do with it. So apparently they ended season five by showing this giant gun in the trunk. And they're like, fuck, we got to come up with some story about why there's a giant gun in the trunk. So that's why they had to reconcile it like that, and it didn't make any sense. But all this being said, you don't look nearly as much like Walter White as I thought. You look more <laughs> like like a member of Wilco or something. It's very disappointing. <laughs> well, thank you. You look like- like an alt rocker.
1: Like Jesus. I said, I didn't really, you know, end it all that uh wasn't all that rough the ending there.
0: Yeah, it was pretty luxurious, it was huh? Pretty nice. Yeah, I guess it could just as easily go the way of vineyard vines, you know. You could have came back some <laughs> some like straight up white boy golfing, golfing and yachting clothes too, some boat shoes, <laughs> some little pastel vineyard vine shorts. Uh yeah. Kind of turned into really, like my least favorite person a little bit. Not really my style. I see the guy, like, if I see, say, a visor, Ugh. some vineyard vines, particularly those little like pastel shorts, and like a white claw, Ugh. Just I'm just going to go ahead and like make a 95% <laughs> ruling that we're just not going to get on, you know? Yeah, professional white person. <laughs> but but more than that, it's like professional white person on vacation. Oh right, right. Or just rich enough to not work anymore. Right. So either of the two, I could. Uh, meh. It's meh. not. It's not our tribe, Benny. It's okay. That's true. So what was your highlight? What was your highlight of being out in the woods?
1: Um, I gotta say, so probably my my buddy's place. That was kind of in the middle of the trip. You know, he had he he lucked out and got this place right before covid and then intended to move up there you know probably this summer after like kind of mm-hmm. getting it fixed up but they just they closed on it and stayed and i know they don't have a lot of money you know he and his wife they're not they're not they're not rolling in it but right. i know they weren't dirt poor either Shit. but uh when he told me he had 25 acres i was like whoa that's like pretty respectable it's- and and then and and he, he's been posting on instagram <laughs> And the place looks good, but I'm like, you know, you can take a good picture. But dude, he fucking <laughs> lucked out. My god, yeah? he's got this creek that goes right past his house. It's like he's got another creek on the other side, like two creeks. It's basically a creek running on either side of his house. That's like a moat, it's, basically. It's gorgeous, <laughs> and um, it's a real fixer-upper. Don't get me wrong; he's got his sure. work cut out for him. The place is it basically sat kind of deserted for 20 years, gotcha. but it's a log cabin. Wow. But it looks like it looks like a spa, like it's really nice. got a huge kind of enclosed porch. The the build is log cabin. The whole thing is wood. Like there's very no cool. sheetrock in the whole build.
0: Very um, very. So cool. that was
1: impressive because like he, I was really impressed by how what a good good fucking deal he got, and it was yeah. and it really feels obviously like you're in Vermont, like or you're just in the wilderness. But you know you can still go take a shower. Can watch TV if you want. You know, it's like he's still connected, but um, sure, it's pretty remote. And northern Vermont is like, northern Vermont does have its smatterings of Trump signs. They're big libertarians. Sure. They like their yeah, guns, right. but they also yeah. like have kept strip malls out of the entire. Pretty much right. the entire state and and yeah, chains yeah. you know there's there hmm. it doesn't matter if you 're blue or red up there they're very proud of their local economy their are for- farmers you know
0: can't hate and, on that,
1: even the rednecks are are you know eating the friggin eggs from up the up the road right
0: sure, 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 so, like yeah there's it. a different kind of consciousness up there for sure,
1: and it's just and it's so damn beautiful, I mean yeah, in, in the summertime in the winter
0: it's a fucking glacier <laughs> I think. I think I just said it like I know and then come to think of it I don't know if I've ever been north of like Burlington. So. Well, I'm no. Not...
1: Well, yeah, this was north of Burlington, but Burlington is pretty fucking far north, dude. Oh, it
0: is. Yeah. Oh, okay. So Burlington that does mean I've driven through most of Vermont then. Yeah, yeah, Burlington <laughs> is 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 right up there. You bring in, bringing a maple syrup back? Like? Oh, yeah. Nice. Some curds? Maybe some cheese curds?
1: No, but it did have some uh
0: poutine. Oh hell have you ever year. had that
1: from Canada? Oh, yes, I've had that. Canadian it's like poutine? one of my
0: favorite things. I can't eat it very often because it's often uh the it's gravy bar. is not vegetarian, right. Right. but uh there are a lot of spots throughout. There's a really great spot in Montreal that makes oh, vegetarian there's, poutine there's spots. Be. And then there's a, a great uh German German-style sausage place in my neighborhood that does vegetarian poutine it's so oh, really? good. Oh, really? Yeah, I get it all the time. It's like my it's like my fat boy food when I give myself like a, a night off from trying to you know take care of myself at all. I've never
1: yeah. h- I've never had it outside of Canada. This was the first time, but we were like ten miles from the border, so I guess that was good enough.
0: Fucking love me a curd, man. <laughs> Speaking of curds, Tim <laughs> Micklerap. Is he Kurdish? Old country Kurd out there. <laughs> is that what that name is? That's a Kurdish no. name? <laughs> I mean, when I think of like, it's, I mean, it's funny. It, like I was even fucking with him before the interview. You know, I asked people before they go in, I'm like, is there anything you do or don't want to get into? You know, usually most people are like, yeah, whatever. Um, you know, they don't care. And I was like, okay, cool. All John Hughes movies then, you know, and I was just <laughs> kind of messing with him, but I hadn't realized he actually grew up in, like, straight-up John Hughes territory, you know, which is funny. It it seems like, uh, I don't know, it's like if you grew up watching, like, Ferris Bueller's and Breakfast Club and uh, Home Alone and all these movies, like, you feel like you have this intimate knowledge of Chicago. I used to love that movie Adventures in Babysitting, which is all in Chicago, The Fugitive. I feel like... Most of my knowledge of Chicago before I started traveling there was all from film, you know? Right. Well, that's how it but, is. It's most people's but, you know, view of New York City. I like the fact that he wouldn't, wouldn't give us an answer on Chicago pizza because it's just too <laughs> controversial. That's fucking funny. <laughs> Didn't want to get the house shot up. I know. <laughs> but it was really cool for Tim to come on. I'm glad he did. I've known him a long time now, but it, it's like when we first met, Was literally when Rise Against asked Gaslight to open for them. And this was maybe 2008, when Rise Against was really at like the peak of their powers, you know, like they're playing some huge places. And we got asked to open for a tour, which was Rise Against, Alkaline Trio, Thrice, and then Us. So this beautiful package, and we were first of four, and it ended up being a It's basically a bus tour that we were still in a van for. So, um, you know, we're basically chasing around three buses (laughs) on a bus schedule, you know, for that first tour. It was it was pretty grueling. It was a long tour. And, you know, like we're playing at like, you know, 615 at like a hockey arena or something. (laughs) But but it was it was my first exposure into like playing and seeing these like bigger things And I thought that was kind of the way it operated, but in reality, it was just kind of the way, like, Rise Against operated, you know what I mean? Like, they ran, like, a big ship, but there was still, like, guys like Mike Fry working for them, and, like, kind of these, you know, legendary old punk rock people that, you know, worked for the band, and those guys, once you get to know them, you're like, oh, you were all punk and hardcore kids, and you just kind of got this famous, you know, and... And I kind of had a misrepresentation of like what that band was until I got out on tour with them. I thought they were like Strike Anywhere, you know. I was like, I was like, oh, they're like an awesome melodic hardcore band. And then I show up to one of these first shows, and there's just like three thousand people and going nuts over their singles. I'm like, whoa, Rise Against is doing the thing, man. This is (laughs) fucking rad. So it was, it was definitely like that tour was. A, like uh, a learning and teaching moment in like so many ways like I got exposed to so much shit I had no idea before before that Right. we even like uh, before that we had no Ian Perkins and we asked Ian to start coming out with us because like basically a month before that tour started we were like oh shit like we don't have anyone on stage for us like we were traveling as a five then which was just you know someone to do merch and help out and then us right and then we're like fuck like in front of like 2500 people changing a string on stage is about to look a lot worse (laughs) you know what i mean like like (laughs) like uh uh-oh like is this and it was kind of like that first time when we were almost like forced to to make our thing bigger because of what we were doing you know like it Kind of gave us an exposure into that world. It was pretty funny, but the tour just ruled, man. I mean, with those bands, it was like one of those marked experiences in my life. And I thought no one gave a shit. Like it was, you know, one of those tours that, you know, you're playing to a couple hundred people in a really huge room and it looks like nobody's there, but there's actually a few hundred people there, which is at the time was plenty of people for us to play to. And, you know, as the years went on, a lot of people were like, oh, we saw you open up for Rise Against and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, oh, cool. I'm glad people <laughs> were actually into it. We had no idea. Right. Know? But it was it was like a really, like, stunning and cool learning experience going on tour Rise Against the first time. It was like, oh, this is how, like, real bands do it, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. But it was awesome for, and, you know, because of it, like, you know, I didn't get to get down with people as much. And it kind of took a while to get to know people. And then I think the second time we toured with rise was really when I understood, I'm like, yeah, Tim's like a really fucking nice guy, you know, like strip all this other stuff back. He's just like really kind and really genuine and everything he's saying, he's totally legitimate about. And I just really started to gain a lot of respect for him uh, in particular.
1: Uh, He's such a, he's so perceptive. That's what I got from this interview.
0: It's Mm. just like
1: he's on point.
0: I mean, I guess it's a good thing he's studying uh, sociology. (laughs) (laughs) That'll work. (laughs) That's interesting. So, what do you think? This is a long interview. We should probably not intro too long. Let's check it out. (laughs) Hello, are you guys there? Hey. Hey Tim, we're talking diseases. Oh, let's talk let's talk diseases. Let's start off on the right foot here. Yeah, but not the one you're thinking of.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: It's That's... it was one called rhinovirus. Oh. That sounds you like You ever a...
2: have experience with that one? No, it kind of sounds like a a really good band
1: name.
0: I know.
1: <laughs> Shotgun. Oh, it's a perfect. Oh.
0: <laughs> yeah. Are you done being a mountain man, Brad? Tim, Brad was just hiding up in the mountains for a couple oh of weeks, so doing something
2: s- super exciting. Where Dude, were you?
0: I went to three different
1: locations in northern Vermont, and it was all of them were Whoa. amazing. I'm, it's so, uh, it's just so beautiful up there. They don't have any were problem. You- There's no ticks up there. There's no freaking oh. coronavirus. There's no like, right? <laughs> you
2: need the you need the the wilderness. It
1: was the wilderness. It was pretty sweet.
2: Are you camping or like hotels
0: or just kind of
1: like? We went to, went up and stayed with some family on this lake. They had got a, some cousins had got a house on the lake for like the month or something. And we went up for one week. And then a friend of mine moved up to a place just above Stowe and um, he's like permanently moved up there. And so we stayed with him for a few days and then we stayed on Lake Champlain at like another friend's freaking mansion. Really, <laughs> it, like with this view of that lake. The lake is so big. So, Where do you get
0: friends that have mansions in Lake Champlain? Uh, I, I don't have any of those. I'll, yeah, um, I want some of those too. Yeah, yeah I'll
1: blame my wife for that one. That's one of.
0: <laughs> Most of Tim and I's friends are are dirty tattooed <laughs> punk rockers who have very right. little. I know I can go
2: like vacation at an apartment above the fireside bowl maybe but, um, <laughs> that's that's what I got
1: uh, I'll grab a forty and go to yeah. my buddy has the rundown place on the creek that was still pretty freaking sweet, but it was kind of more like more like camping out um uh, but yeah, so my wife put us in the uh in the deluxe accommodations there.
0: How are you looking body. right now because I'm imagining a real like season six Walter White. <laughs> Breaking bag kind of thing going on. Dude,
1: I still have not got a fucking haircut since this thing started.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Tim, I noticed, you know, I've seen some stuff you've been posting lately. You look pretty clean. You look pretty clean, considering. I? I know. Oh, you, yeah. Well, you're rocking a beard, but it's right. like a nicely trimmed beard. The hair looks pretty well kemped Like, how are you keeping it together there?
2: Uh, I don't know. I'm fooling you. Then I'm definitely fooling you on the on <laughs> on, uh, on whatever you're looking at. Because it's uh, I haven't I haven't gotten a proper haircut since this all began either. Like, okay, um, not that I was getting a lot of proper haircuts before this stuff. Like, I my version of a haircut is more or less like um, I don't do it, and then I'm about to like go to the airport for something, and I look in the mirror, and I'm like, oh crap, like. I should do something before this video shoot or this tour that's about to start. And then I look at my wife and she always tells me, you know that I'm not a hairstylist, right? <laughs> and then we grab a pair of clippers and she tries to make it look good, like decent.
0: You know, I, I, I actually, I could use your opinion on that because I've been running yeah. into that issue. I found because of the quarantine, I've had a stunning realization basically that, The only thing that has been my motivation to stay like somewhat in shape and somewhat clean all of these years has been playing shows. It's like, (laughs) it's like these like potential future dates. I'm like, okay, I got like a tour in six weeks. I got a show in a few days. I got this. So maybe I'll skip that eggplant parm, you know? Maybe, Uh maybe I'll shave on Monday or something. But without these like shows, In the future, I've kind of found that uh, basically I'm awful at motivating myself to take care of myself without this impetus. Have you found this as well?
2: Yeah, I I absolutely relate to that because the show and the tour and the video and the whatever, that's like our office space, right? So that's like what we get up to go to in the morning to go to the office and that's why you would brush your hair. That's why you would, you know, Maybe like think about what you're wearing, and without that, like when I come home from tour, um, I don't really like I'm not seeing a lot of people outside of my family. You right. know, when I get home from tour, I'm just kind of like I go back to being a hermit, and I just see them, and it's very rare that I really try to like care about my appearance. <laughs> um, and so this yeah this whole this whole time has been like that. So there's been a handful of things I've had to go do where I'm like, oh wait, I need to. I need to look in the mirror here. I'm like going Damn, out a, I in, think we need to
0: reflect on that. The idea that we we can't be motivated to look good for like our, our wife and children and families, yes. but, tr- yes, but we'll we get it do. together for a bunch of strangers.
2: You know. Yes, that's probably a good therapy session uh, rabbit hole. Yeah, we, yeah, <laughs> we'll that. have a
0: think. We'll have a think on that for sure. We will. Yes. Yeah. So how you doing, man? You're you're home. You're in uh, Illinois. Yeah. Yes. Uh, home.
2: yeah, home in Chicago. Uh like everybody else's home, right? Wherever the, wherever they are been. Yeah, how's for, your
0: um how's your uh, day-to-day been? What what's been going on over there? Um it's been pretty chill like we had
2: some pretty um intensive like songwriting and a little bit of stuff happening right before the right. quarantine. And so right as it was right as the quarantine started i was kind of in that sort of like that post emotional collapse of some giant endeavor anyway oh <laughs> you know right. and so it sort of dovetailed nicely with my like the quarantine and my emotional collapse so i was oh, like, ready re- i was ready to like not see anybody or do anything for a while
0: so what um, what, what date did you actually like wrap up the record
2: um well we haven't really Wrapped up anything, but oh, we definitely okay. like have a good like chunk of stuff ready for when the lights go back on. Got gotcha. um, But it was all kind of happening um, around around that time. It was like March is when my calendar was opening up anyway, and so my calendar was going to be pretty open in like March, April, May, regardless. Right. And then we were going to start playing some festivals this summer. And so my spring calendar really didn't change. I was I was doing what I normally do, like you know, like, like we just touched on. I wasn't. I was home, you know, I have right. two yeah, yeah. I have two daughters, I have a 16-year-old and a 12-year-old, okay. so like, I have high school and junior high, you know, they're busy and doing their sure. thing, and so I'm just like, family guy when I'm home, and then it wasn't until, like, this whole lockdown stretched into summer, and then we started realizing that shows were happening, that was when my own calendar kind of started to change, and I realized, like, okay, this is gonna, this is gonna look different, you know?
0: right. You guys are kind of remote writers anyway, right? I mean, it's been mm-hmm. many years where, was it Brandon's out in, uh, what, Colorado? Zach is on the East Coast somewhere, right? So, uh,
2: yeah, well, yeah. Brandon's in Colorado. Zach's in Austin, Texas. Oh, Austin, right. Yeah, yeah. And Joe and I are here in Chicago. And Joe and I um, write the bulk of the material. Um, okay. and, and so, yeah, writing remote is sort of been our thing for a long time, like we don't all live in the same city, so we don't ever get together like and just play you know if we play it's sort of like we have to orchestrate that to to happen somewhere so we've gotten we've gotten pretty good at the whole remote writing thing I think
0: what's your method like so you you and Joe you know get together what what do you guys write stuff on do you you oh, on acoustics are you like how, how yeah do you, how does the inception go and then how does it get to everyone else for contribution? So, I feel like we've tried a lot of different stuff
2: in the past. Um, you know, when the guys, when everybody was in the same town, we would get together in the rehearsal space and just hash stuff out. And then when Brandon left to go back to Colorado where he grew up, um, we started doing things more remotely. When Zach joined the band, we told him, don't even leave Austin, dude. You don't need to come to Chicago because what we do is so remote. You can just stay there. Yeah, and cool. yeah, it worked out for everybody. And so, Joe and I. Well, usually when it's like record writing time, we've, in the past, we've um, sort of, we've got a rehearsal space somewhere and we get together every couple of days and just kind of share ideas back and forth. Um, yeah. We're both like kind of cavemen when it comes to like technology and recording. And <laughs> you so, and Joe. You, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally, Joe okay. and I. So I think like, we've slowly coached <laughs> each other into getting better, you know, <laughs> like so Yeah, can, yeah, adapting. Yeah, like if I I can push a few buttons and make something happen, and then if it doesn't happen, I just just give up and play an acoustic guitar and go into my voice memo on my iPhone, you know?
0: Um, Well, you fooled us when you emailed about having Logic in an SM7. I'm like, oh. I'm so like, yeah. Tim's like Tim's guy, like studio guy at home. He's probably uh, got a big thing going on. Yeah. Oh man, I wish. But like, that's <laughs> probably the extent of
2: my knowledge. But I will say, like the the, the March twenty twenty Tim and now like the August twenty twenty Tim is a different Tim. I've learned a lot because I've had, I mean, I've had time to first of all, right, yeah. to kind of finally sit down and figure these things out. And then with this whole like Zoom culture and um, live streaming. Yeah. And like that kind of stuff, I've never really thought about that because I mean I've been really spoiled where I show up somewhere somewhere and somebody who's really smart like it sounds like Brad, you know what you're doing over there um <laughs> someone someone like Brad I comes in, it. yeah well it's working well, <laughs> and they put the mics in the right place and they push the right buttons and I just I, it's my responsibility just to sing and play guitar, you know, and now yeah, and now I get like a request like, oh, can you do this and you know my instinct is to go say yes and then when the day comes it's like oh and you're on your own, like in an empty room just you and yourself and your guitar and right. you have to you have to figure out how to make this sound good you know yeah yeah much more
0: exposed yeah totally
2: so like through a lot of like a lot of coaching and a lot of like frantic text messages to the blasting room in Fort Collins and oh, okay you know <laughs> stuff like that i've kind of I've started to like they've kind of walked me through some things and so now i I have a better Idea. I mean, you you don't want me producing your record or anything, but I have a better idea of right. of, of of how to uh, how, how to put something uh, so, down into something. So, digital. Bill
0: Stevenson is your phone a friend if something happens? Yeah, you know, Bill's not even that great
2: at this. <laughs> oh, okay, That's <laughs> not, I not I don't his think forte he, either. I don't think, I, I don't think he wouldn't mind me saying that either. He's sure. like uh, yeah. the, bla- the blast. The blaster room is such a beautiful place because everyone there kind of serves. This different purpose, like they're all like, right. they're all the different pieces of Voltron. They come together and make this this crazy crazy machine. Um, so and Bill's, Bill's not the tech
0: guy. He's the he's he's the, not your the song yeah, guy. He's not IT The sound right. guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> okay. he's
2: like, um, yeah, he's more like I don't know. Yeah, he's he's definitely more of the 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 arty producer kind of guy. But yeah, the, yeah he's not. You he won't call him for IT that's for sure. <laughs> gotcha. so, but but there are some people over there um, that really know what they're doing and are constantly like learning about
0: it. So that's cool. Well, speaking of which, I, you know, I'd seen that bill, bill's done six rise against albums, right? That number sounds accurate. accurate. And then you went back to him to do this last one as well. Correct. Um, yeah, we are working with bill now. Yeah. So, so, so how did, how did that all start with, with you guys and bill and what, What's the aspects of like that relationship specifically that that make you always you know feel comfortable with him and want to go back there? Um,
2: that's, so our relationship with Bill starts with our second record, revolutions per minute, um, and it was kind of a an accidental meeting in a way. Like we were obviously aware of Bill and the studio. Sure. Yeah. Um, Joe had met him previously and actually had been to the blasting room. I'm on a previous tour. But when we sat down to do our second record, um, he wasn't the the first choice in doing that record okay. and it wasn't. And I'll tell you why it was rise against was a band that when we started, we were very like, um, I don't know, kind of trying to be cognizant of our identity mm-hmm. and like where we fit in. And and I guess this in this information will be like dated, but like in like the year two thousand, two thousand one, you know, we were signed to Fat Records. And like back then there was like there was like Fat Rec bands and there were victory bands. <laughs> right. And there yeah, were sure, Epitaph yeah. bands. You know, yeah, and I know yeah, that, yeah. that yeah, that might not mean a lot to somebody who was born that year, right, you know. Yes. But like at the time that was a big deal and the label yeah. you were on yeah, for sure. was a it was a big deal, and we were. And each out- one of
0: those labels you just mentioned had a very like kind of specific sound and culture that went behind it. So I, yeah, I totally know what you're talking about. Right. So people
2: were people were going to look at your band in a specific way. Right. And we were coming out from under the shadow of Idiot Fingers, Louie, Joe's previous right. band, yeah. who was on Hopeless. Sure. But when we when we put Rise Against together, we knew that we were d- way different than Idiot Fingers, Louie. and we were way different than like a lot of the bands on those same rosters that they were living on and so we wanted to be taken seriously as our own band so we were like honestly we were trying to we we were trying to pivot more into like a hardcore world you know in a way and and away from like a pop punk world sure we felt like our band could be taken seriously in that world um, so one of said, the
0: inventors of pop punk wasn't the exact look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. We, right. you know, yeah.
2: we, we were already on Fat Records, which was the, yeah, right, the, yeah, the greatest thing to be on. But we were and we were touring with a lot of Fat Records bands. But we were also out with Voices Fire, and we were out right. with Thursday, and we were out with. Um, uh, well, that was the same tour actually. Thursday and Voices Fire. Um, we were going out with um, a lot of bands, like Reach the Sky right and and trying to get those records or those um that that world take us seriously and and, you know victory was a was a place that we actually we were trying to sign to before fat records came along and this was and this was 2001 or no this is 2000 i guess so it was like before we all knew a lot about victory (laughs) records what goes on behind the scenes to me it was just like this is the label that has earth crisis and Snapcase and refuse and guilt and by the grace of god and this is everything that comes into chicago it has a victory stamp on it i just i'm I'm loving you know so yeah let's be taken seriously in that world you know man charles
0: Um, bronson was really ahead of their time getting on victory (laughs) records they knew they knew (laughs) something was going on there before before like the uh pre-emo explosion of like nine, you know, record contracts and stuff started popping up. Oh my God. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Leave it. Charles Bronson were trendsetters. That's for sure. Oh, that's a fact. I still rock mm-hmm. the shirt. People think mm-hmm. sometimes that I'm wearing a shirt of myself on it because <laughs> b- based on our subsequent conversation about being a scum ass, uh, mm. yeah, there are certain days I, I can look like some version of a dirty 30, Charles Bronson. That's
2: Charles Bronson is one of those bands where I, I thought it was just like a Chicago thing, you know, yeah, like an Illinois thing. And until I got outside of Chicago, I was like, oh, people know. Like that's yeah. Really cool.
0: I'd say there are probably like ten to twenty people in every city in America who have a deep love for Charles Bronson, but probably no more than ten to twenty outside of Chicago.
2: Yeah, I think you're probably right. But for anyone that's listening
0: that's- to this right now. Go ahead and go get go get Youth <laughs> right. Attack by Charles Bronson and school yourself on on some old school good Chicago shit. So amen. So amen you're talking God. about Bill Stevenson and not yeah and not so, a, yeah <laughs> yeah. we
2: were trying to make the right decisions and you know um, Bill didn't come up in that conversation of doing our second record. And so I'll I, I'll we we had just heard I think I think what was it Hot Water Music's Caution had come out oh, okay. maybe and we were like oh well we got to go to Brian McTurnan that sounds amazing right. And then through like actually a really weird series of miscommunications, like we thought we were going to Brian McTurnan, and Brian McTurnan was like, "You guys were never coming here." <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> you know?
1: Really?
2: Yeah, I, I wouldn't blame him. I think that it was like this is pre-management. You know right. what I mean? It was like one guy in the band had a cell phone. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. like yeah, yeah. We were doing things very much like even though we were on fat, like we were. It was still a lot of just DIY stuff sure, happening. Yeah. So it just got lost in the shuffle and the date was rolling around and we were like, well shit, where are we going to go? And we we're like, well maybe actually Steve Abbott's came up with the conversation. Cause oh, wow. he had done, I think that most recent sick of it all record on fat that was sounded epic. Yeah, and a lot right. of great records. Yep. I, that, yep, like yep. when he, those, ter- those turmoil records that he did back in the day are like some of my favorite records. Um, yes. and then we were just too late, you know, cause it was now rolling around. And so we called the blasting room. Um, and we said, can you squeeze us in? And, they did and i'm so glad we did we did because the long story short here is we met like our soulmate in like music yeah which is bill stevenson uh jason livermore uh right. andrew berlin like that that studio was really where we were meant to make music they became a part of our band like i don't think of we talked about like the band being like your office you know right. like how that's when you when you walk out like if if there was anything that was more like if there was any physically manifested rise against place that felt like the place that our business takes place in mm-hmm. it's walking into the into the blasting room it's become right. like it feels like our headquarters even though it's their headquarters you know it feels like family when we walk in there and it's so it's a nice for, thing to have it's cool it really was special yeah and and we only learned that really when we i think we we went to bill then we left bill for our major label debut and then we that was when it was kind of the typical like you don't know what you got till it's gone yes. kind of thing like yeah. oh we thought every producer and experience <laughs> was going to be as amazing yeah. as this experience Richard, and we realized that wasn't the who case did you guys work
1: with for that record we worked with Garth
2: Richardson okay. who he he had done a lot of um well he had actually just done that from *Of the ashes record at the time oh, yeah. uh, before that he had done things for like like chili peppers and trapped and um he was doing a lot of that kind of like canadian active rock kind of stuff you know okay um and the label so the labels excited about that because he was you know had, was a commercially proven producer right. um and we were excited because he had from all the ashes and his on his resume, and he had um, Sick Vidal's Built to Last in his resume, and I guess I don't know why I'm forgetting this, but but Garth did the First Rage Against the Machine record. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. So I probably should have mentioned that first, and so <laughs> um, those were all things were like, well, this was a producer that you know he's a, he's like a big ticket producer. We're signing to a major label as a bunch of kids. We're probably going to get dropped in six months right now, and so let's take this blank check and do the whole major studio experience right, right. that you get to do before the label drops you, you know?
0: Do you think so, there is anything that, you know, like the fact that you guys were, you know, were and had always been, like, politically motivated, do you think they were trying to, like, grab some, like, rage fans and, like, get into, like, that world a little bit with that choice?
2: I think that's probably factored into their decision as well. The fact that Garth yeah. had done the first Rage, um, the, the the label was excited about the political side of our band um right it was it was like who uh we were and the guy that signed us ron handler who i'm trying to think of the band ron signed like he was at we signed a dreamworks and ron had signed i think alien ant farm papa roach Powerman 5000 i th- uh did he sign sparta i don't remember if he signed if they were on dreamworks that was the time when Jimmy World was on DreamWorks and Saves the Day was on DreamWorks and oh, AFI okay. had signed to DreamWorks right. um, Juliana Theory no no Juliana Theory was like Sony and so this seemed like a place to be we were like sure. we were excited about being there a lot of our peers uh, were there and so um, Garth became the guy and we actually had a lovely time with Garth recording the record and like the bass and drums were done in Brian Adams' studio, the warehouse in oh, wow. Ga- Gastown oh. in downtown Vancouver. That's, amaz-
1: Where- That's a sweet studio. Oh, my God. I mean,
2: can you imagine, like, I don't think I've seen a sweeter studio since. Yeah. So, like, that was my first experience. I was like, oh, this whole rock thing is going to be great. Like, look at the studio, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I've, I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen a studio that amazing since. But, yes, doing the doing the bass and drums there was, like, incredible. And and then we went out to his island um, north of uh uh Vancouver and Horseshoe Bay. You had to take a ferry to get out to this island called Gibson's. And um we recorded like in his big cabin on his property like on a hill for the next like month and a half.
0: That's so perfect. You guys signed to a major and did the thing.
2: That's we totally like. did yeah. the thing. You know what <laughs> I mean? I mean we were still like sharing hotel rooms and like on the island we lived in a cabin where we all, all right. slept in like beds that were on the same in one big room. But like yes, it felt like fucking rock star you know like there was like a girl at the front desk of the of the warehouse that would like she kept offering to run errands for us (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? And like no one's ever no one had ever run an errand for me before, you know what I mean? So I was right. like, What do you mean? She's like, well, What are you whatever you like food? You wanna go I wanna go buy some records? And we're like, what is this? This is crazy, <laughs> yeah. you know?
0: We is have this a slave. Is this how
1: it's gonna be from now on? <laughs> <laughs> I
2: know. That's exactly the blast syndrome doesn't awesome have it. that girl so, at the front desk. So though. what was it
0: about like moving forward? You know, what does Bill what does Bill help you with with songwriting and sound and or, you know, the way you feel? Like what are what are the things that he's really Bringing for you guys that that uh, bring it up another notch.
2: Mm, that's a that's a great question. Um, I think all four of us would answer it kind of differently, but he's definitely right. Like he's a he's a rise against whisperer um, for each of us, which is super important. Like I don't think that's that cool. I don't think that like he favors one of us over the other, or he just is because he's a drummer. Like he him and Brandon do the drums, and that's the thing, or because you know he's played in a base with Carl or played in a band with Carl Alvarez like Joe's bass playing like blows him away Oh, uh, beca- right. Or because yeah. he knows he's known Zach since Zach was like fifteen or sixteen because okay. ha- Hagfish did some of the first records at the Blasting Room. I see. So he's, okay. he knew Zach before us. And then for me, like him and I have connected like really deeply. Like we go on vacation together. You know what I mean? Like we huh. like I go out to Fort Collins when I have time off to like spend time with him. Like That's cool. I was just texting with him this morning about like books and podcasts and and that kind of thing. So. Uh, And my lyrics are something that he's really um, like, I just feel like he really understood, but also isn't afraid to like hold my feet to the fire and like, Mm. like he'll question things I'm writing sometimes. You know what I mean? Whether it's like really conceptual, whether he's like, I don't think I agree with this idea you're talking about, you know, or just something as like, I don't think you said this well enough, you Mm -hmm. know, like I think you could say this better or, you know, god he's such a great bullshit detector like i'll be like <laughs> say say like a song is like 16 bars of lyrics right right and i'm sitting there trying to wrap up the last like two i have like i have 14 great lines that i love and i can't get the last two and i've been putting the whole song off forever and it's finally coming and so i just kind of like maybe i kind of phone it in a little bit because i'm like you know right. what Four, 14 great lines are great <laughs> like that's who needs 16 great lines like yeah. i'll just I, I just need to get this done everyone's waiting for me i'll go in sure there. and and not knowing which one of those two lines i phoned in and me just sitting in the vocal with crossing my fingers that he doesn't notice <laughs> yeah right he'll notice he'll pull ah. out I'm like, I'm like uh and he says the nicest way to like um uh t- tim 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 <laughs> um <clears throat> When you say uh, this line here, and I'll be like, "Oh fuck you, Bill! I can't believe (laughs) I can't. I believe I almost snuck this by you, you know." And so, the fact that like we speak that language, you know, that he can do that, I'm so grateful for it. I'm so pissed at the moment because I got to go back and do my homework. Sure, sure. But like, I'm so grateful that like that's a that's a guy who's paying attention to what to what you're doing. That's a guy who like when he left his house and walked into that studio, he put everything like outside that door when he closed that door sure and he, is, he is his phone is off and he is focused on that song in ways that like sometimes the four of us aren't even focused on that song mm. you know because yeah. we're distracted as well you know and right. he just gets into it and then cares about it understands it uh which is important for me as like a lyricist and knows like what i'm trying to do and what i'm trying to say and he's also you know bill's a lyricist too yeah he writes right. a lot very of the Descendants yeah. lyrics a very good yeah like people i guess if they don't know bill stevenson he's the was the drummer of black flag and then created the descendants and is the drummer in that band but he's also like a predominant songwriter in that band and and then obviously an amazing producer he's an incredible drummer but he's a, a guitar player he can play every instrument he can do everything uh, he's just—he's also a thinking man, so he comes up with really important, interesting concepts for lyrics and that kind of thing. So it makes him really well suited to be a producer because he's kind of—he wears a lot of hats, you know. Right,
0: and apparently um, drinks more coffee than any man I know. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah.
2: He absolutely drinks way too much coffee. I think the last time I saw—I guess it was Flag, yeah—which uh, was playing um, at the Double Door a couple of years ago. Um, and flag if people don't know is is basically all of black flag but without Greg Yin. and right. um but we walked into a coffee shop before the show and he asked for uh was it 10 shots of espresso?
0: <laughs> oh my god.
2: And I'm not and I'm not a coffee drinker but like I know like I'm like okay that seems like a lot and we were in this coffee shop in Wicker Park and they just looked at him and they were like we're not we're not doing that cuz he wanted 10 <laughs> shots of espresso all in the same cup.
1: <laughs> right.
2: And he's like like we're not doing that. And he just was like, What? He just like <laughs> his whole like his whole like they refused frame. to
0: serve. Wow. Yeah,
2: they refused to serve. And he was like they're like we'll sell you 10 shots but we're not going to put it all in the same cup and he was like what's the difference just make oh, the 10 shots yeah. and put it like in the cup and like I remember <laughs> I was walking into the coffee shop as he was storming out and like Bill doesn't get mad Bill doesn't get angry he just gets flabbergasted you know what I mean right. like he's not yeah. he's not going to like go all like Karen on somebody he's sure, just he's more California, just like, yeah yeah yeah, he has yeah. surfer whoa what the guy <laughs> just said he wouldn't do it whoa you, I, wait a minute did you hear him did he just say that did you hear him say that you know <laughs> <laughs> and that's what he was doing before before flag shows it was just like insane uh, amounts, of, insane funny. amounts of coffee. Yeah, he's he's the best dude. He's like um, I don't know, like the words like mentor or like guru or like you know, almost like a father figure, um, but also a peer. Um, but then also, it helps that he's a hero of mine. You know, he was on my mixtapes growing up. You know, right. and so he's a larger than life character. Like when when you see the movie where the comic book character comes to life and the kid's like, Oh my God, you're real. You know, yeah. like that's, that's <laughs> still, that's still building me. Cause I was, you know, sure. I had a Walkman and a skateboard and Milo goes to college and I was sending cash to SST records for black flag, seven inches like, that he yeah. played on, yeah, you know? Yeah. So that's to, to be there with this guy who is, um, not just amazing what he does, but also, uh, one of my heroes. I, I want his approval. I crave his approval, you know? And I think
0: you mentioned something that like I think gets lost on some people trying to produce an engineer sometimes, which is like you know that psychological element of it where you know, especially you know someone who is a vocalist, you know you're you're bearing your fucking soul, yeah you know it's emotional, yeah. it's a thing, and if there's someone sitting on the other side of that glass that looks a little checked out, mm-hmm. not invested, not invested in your words or the process yeah. like that's a a stark reminder of vulnerability, you know? Like producers got to be like engaged and with it and with you, you know, like through the whole thing. And I, I think people forget how important that is. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's that's a super wise observation for sure. Um because the vocal booth is this place where I don't care who you are, like you're really vulnerable in there and not just your the words you've poured down into, you know, on pen and paper. But you know your voice alone. You know you're right. Yeah. You're trying. You're trying a new song. You're trying things that you didn't do before, and you're going to have like. There's nothing more embarrassing to like sing something that doesn't work. You know what I mean? Or right, to yeah. hit the wrong notes, or to have the voice crack. You know what I mean those are those are sounds that human beings make that other human beings are like. It's in our DNA to cringe at. Right. <laughs> you know your mean?
0: ears. Your ears. Like if you hit a bad note on a guitar, it's like yeah. But if yeah you right. hear a bad note on vocals you're like what was that your ears perk up yeah totally yeah like yeah. just
2: like just like we know not to eat something that smells like feces you know what I mean <laughs> right. to, to, our body through years of evolution has rejected like that like we know that's right. why we that's right. why we stay away from it we hear yeah. those sounds of like a vocalist you know sounding like a dying dog yeah. and yeah. it just this like
0: sound <laughs> is bad for my health <laughs> yeah. totally yeah.
2: you just you just and so uh, as a vocalist you want to not make those sounds sure. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, <laughs> and um, and with Bill, he's so you know he's in tune not just to like my my physical um health of my voice, but also you know the lyrics are a whole different side of it. Um, yeah, as well. well. Speaking he's also, of that,
0: okay. I, I mean, I, I've wondered that with vocalists, because I mean, I couldn't. The vocal booth is the most fucking terrifying place in the world to me. Hmm. You know, even just hearing my voice, just talking on a recording, I start to cringe. So the idea of you know, like listening to myself extremely unskilled sing is like, I don't know. That's like a top five most embarrassing thing you can do to me. But, uh, like I always wonder in that situation, you know, you're singing really like poignant stuff, stuff that when you write it really is means a lot to you and is, is tugging from a place of like emotion and heart. And then you walk into like a studio, you walk into a room and it's, it's cold and it's, uh, empty and quiet and there's you know some eyes on the other side of a board like meticulously looking at every single thing you say like what are the types of things that you do personally to like get yourself either worked up or like calmed down for that situation like Mm. do you have any like tools or things you do to kind of like hype yourself up or calm yourself down before you get in the booth like that
2: that's a good question um I think when I'm recording I I don't require that sort of like process to get hyped up. Like I think I just Okay. I walk in there and Bill kind of knows like without much fanfare, he's just going to start playing the song, you know, and I'm right. and he's not even going to tell me if he's recording it or not, you know. And if I'm struggling, he kind of knows just what to say to like get me to like keep doing it. You know, okay. without, but without, without pointing out the elephant in the room, like Tim, you sound terrible, but he knows like, he knows, I think from working, not just with me, but with lots of vocalists, like there are certain things that you say, he's got all kinds of like, I wish I could think of of like great psychological, like I think producers are also like kind of like psychiatrists, oh, you know,
0: hundred percent. Yeah.
2: And so they know what to say. I'm starting to figure out his code words for that sucked you know right, right 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 it's sort of like um i th- like uh are you guys baseball fans at all i, I am certainly better okay. yeah yeah <laughs> okay well like there's times when like a pitcher is pitching and he's struggling and you'll find, you'll see the catcher like call like a timeout or walk to the mound and talk right. to the pitcher mm-hmm. and i like sometimes that conversation is really important to the game and there's something like in the strategy that's happening there but when you talk to catchers and pitchers are players in general you'll learn that like sometimes he's just doing that because he knows that pitcher needs like a beat to skip he needs yes. a moment yes yeah and so he might he might walk out there and just be like dude lunch sucked how about that did you get that burger <laughs> right. a catering that was awful they gotta make a better burger yeah i know all right man let's go back in it you know like yeah right there sure. sometimes he's that catcher is just giving that pitcher a moment to just reset and he's doing oh, it. He's, yeah. just, he's using the walk as an excuse and a bill's great at doing things. He'll blame the computer sometimes. He'll like blame <laughs> he'll he'll like get self-deprecating and be like, "Oh, dude, I I totally messed up. You got to do that again." You know what I mean? Or like <laughs> then,
0: yeah, okay. Know, yeah. Like any, so or
2: I I need, I need a few minutes, Tim, like this thing crashed on me. Cuz right. he knows that he knows that I need a few minutes. But he also knows that like if he tells me I need a few minutes, that might be so like mentally devastating that I might not come back to perform it at 100% that afternoon you know and so he's it's like I don't I would love to talk to producers about all their magic tricks (laughs) (laughs) because I can tell it's been a long time looks like he fooled me before when I was younger (laughs) but now I know his magic tricks but I also it doesn't bother me that that they that he's still using them you know what I mean because
0: yeah it makes me
2: feel it makes me know that like he's aware but he's not trying to like get up in my face
0: that's right. Like, so you kind of almost know in the moment that your emotions are being manipulated, but you just you don't mind.
2: Oh yeah, I yeah. can. At, at this point, I can tell because Bill's like a. It's like when they say that you you know when you when you're countering something, you should respond, not react. You know, mm-hmm. you should respond to something and not react to something. Like Bill's great at just responding, not reacting. He's great at like that poker face. Like yeah. you could tell him something totally insane and he'd be great at like just letting it sink in and then thinking about what's the best way I, I respond to Tim's totally insane <laughs> thing he just said, you know. But awesome. once you once you get to know a person, you can see in their eyes when they think you're insane. So there's times where I'm like, okay, Bill, don't bullshit me. I know I know you disagree with whatever I just said, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Which is usually about where we're going for lunch, but <laughs>
0: That's awesome, man. Well yeah, when we were setting this up, I was I was joking with you and saying that I found the Baxter demo online, your old right. band when you were a young man. Yes. And uh and the, the demo tape had your your the house line, your phone number on the front of it. Mm-hmm. Um which you still said is an active number in your household, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, my but mom it, would you, love to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, it made it, it, it was making me think. You know, I didn't want to text all that, but you know, I was a show promoter when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and you know, I only had my mom's phone number to give right. to people for information. And on on show days, I would literally have my mom parked up at the phone at my house answering calls. Explaining to people how to get to the Manville <laughs> Elks Lodge from all four points northwest, oh south, and east—you know, like of uh, where we lived—and I left her directions, and that's what we had to do. That's a so solid may, mom, too, by the way. Yeah, it was solid. She she had a funny one. Best story with that was when I was trying to book the Get Up Kids when they were really—you know, this is like mid '90s when they're just starting—and right. yeah. I get a message from my mom that says. Matt from the Ghetto Kids called. <laughs> and then, you know what? I called back Matt. I think it was Matt Pryor, and I told him that story, and he, he barely laughed. And then I wrote off the Ghetto Kids for like two Ooh. years. Because I was like, Aww. that shit's funny, man. You should have laughed. <laughs> Come on, Matt. That's but, pretty funny. <laughs> um, so it, it just made me laugh seeing that demo and and seeing you know getting that stark reminder of, of what doing this was like in the 90s. Like, mm-hmm. Can you explain to someone... You know, who's who's 18 years old right now, like what that process was like for you? Like how did when you were a kid, when you were in high school, how are you recording the demos and putting it out? How are you promoting yourself? Like what were some of the the things that you used at the time that are, you know, totally antiquated now? Right.
2: Oh, my God. Yeah. it's So, I mean, you know, especially if you're a promoter, you know, because I was trying to get a hold of people like you, you know, right. promoters. Yeah. And that was through the mail. You know what I mean? Um, So there's so there's no internet, you know, or if there is an internet, it's not something that anybody's really on or finding very useful, right? Because it's it's slow and nobody's really on it. There's not a lot of resources on there. It's kind of just a party trick, you know. (laughs) Right at that point, Um, yeah. At that point, yeah. So you are, and punk rock is small, and it's not being it's not in magazines, you know, and it's not on TV. And the underground scenes are small, and you kind of got to figure out how your way into them. And that's a lot of, oh God jeez! I mean, it's recording your own music, finding a studio that can do it, you know, making your own cassette. Like, that cassette that you saw, like, we found a cassette maker in town, okay. you know, um, this tiny place in this little industrial area. And we bought those, like, labels at, like, an office depot or whatever, you mm-hmm. know. And put them into a typewriter. Right. you right. Know? Oh, nice. And, yeah, and each one of them, like we typed out, we hand typed out, you know. And I remember my. Oh, so that's dad, how
0: you got that really nice typewriter font on that. They really are. They really are yeah. typewriters. You know, we didn't figure out the word <laughs> processing
2: thing until I think it was Neil Hennessy's mom. Uh, Neil from the Lawrence Arms was in the band with right. me. And I think his mom was like, you know, there's an easier way to do this. <laughs> and so we like <laughs> figured that out. And then we would, you know, make those tapes. And then obviously. You know, and now you would put that music online, but back then that wasn't an option. So we made maybe a hundred of those cassettes. And then we So we were just young punk skate kids, which was a small scene in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. And so it was small enough where there's only a handful of you in one high school, a handful of you in another high school. And so right. you were friends with other high schools. And so we were part of like a big kind of friend group of just freaks, you know? Okay. Um, and so I remember giving a shoebox of those cassettes to the guy I knew at the neighboring high school
0: Oh, and a shoebox of cassettes to
2: the the other high school and so I had them at like four high schools that's funny wow and then I told him I was like if you can get any money like if you could charge like you know four or five bucks for this see if anybody wants it you know that's pretty and funny. Then,
0: you were like hiring consultants in like different high schools. So <laughs> yeah, that, the yeah. they were just like,
2: yeah, they were just, you know, <laughs> friends that I was like, go do this. And those, yeah. we do the same thing with like shows in a basement is like, I'd go to like Kinko's or wherever and make copies and then hand a stack to like, I, I would try to hand a stack to like four different high schools and then right. maybe, maybe like the local skate shop and the local record store. Sure. And, um, and what's funny about that is that you'd never get any feedback, right? Like, no. like, yeah. Those cassettes I think they all eventually went, but you never hear like who got them, if no. they liked yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. away. Yeah, yeah. And in fact that's how I met Neil Hennessy in the Lawrence Arms. He was at a neighboring high school. And before he was in Baxter, we had a like a about like six songs on a cassette that we were doing the same thing with. He had that cassette. But I didn't know Neil. I didn't know he had that cassette. Yeah, you know, right. and he didn't know me. Like he thought, like we were some. He, he was telling me he thought like we were like a real established band. When right. He heard it, yeah. You know?
0: If someone had was, a demo out at that time, that was almost like if you had a demo and a T-shirt at that time, you were yeah. You were like on your as, way up. Like you were totally. Yeah.
2: <laughs> that's as established as it gets. Yeah. Yeah. So and then from there it was. You know, if you remember the Book Your Own Fucking Life. Of course, yeah. Yeah. So i That copy was what that. Maximum
0: Rock and Roll would it was that once a year they would put it out? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, they'd put out a for again for the youth who might be mm-hmm. listening, right. Maximum Rock and Roll would release something called Book Your Own Fucking Life that had contacts of different promoters or maybe like record stores and stuff in almost every city in America and then mm-hmm. yeah you just had the chance to to shop it I guess it was like a punk rock phone book almost
2: yeah, yeah. it was like the yellow pages for yeah. every state and so Illinois wasn't there wasn't a big chapter in Illinois right but um, but there was a handful of things in Chicago and I would just send out this thing to anybody who would listen and then send it out to like promoters like yourself I'm sure who were like oh we do shows in Iowa City yeah you know? right and I would send demos they'd be like cool book us you know Minneapolis, Milwaukee, Detroit, Indianapolis, and I met people that way, and we were writing letters back and forth, and that's how some shows happened. Um, And you were again out to these cities in high school. Yeah, high school, and then in my first year of college or two, I stayed. I stayed. I went to college in Chicago, Mm -hmm. so I stayed in the city, and then the band kind of continued, but we were fizzling at that point. Like we were just kind of starting to lose members and losing the drive to do it. You know,
0: right. I mean, what were your uh, what were your spots back then? Like, were you playing? Was it like basement Elks type of situations out in the suburbs, or were you actually uh, getting into the city and playing?
2: So we started in the suburbs for sure. A lot of like house parties. You know, it's it's weird about being in a band where I was such a fan of like punk rock and hardcore, and I never and my band started and Baxter started and. Baxter to me when we started, like we didn't sound like everything else that was happening. You know what I mean? Like I and I, I look back and I'm like, I'm, I'm sure we just we did. You know, I'm sure we did sound like everything else. But like <laughs> sure. at the time, I remember thinking like, I remember thinking a combination of like we don't sound like what I'm listening to, and then I almost remember being like a little like we don't fit into this world. Like okay. we're not we're not good enough for huh. that that world. Like that's there's, there's the, the places that I go see shows. Are different in a different place and a better mm. place than the places that I'm like making music with my friends in. Like that's that I almost saw it as like that's like um, higher education. You know what I mean? I but see. I'm still like I'm still like in high school. You know huh. whatever. Yeah. And, and so it was like a it was a really defeatist kind of attitude towards it. But and so we were ambitious, but like only so ambitious because I don't think we thought we we belonged in that Chicago scene. Hmm. And then.
0: Was it kind getting, of like exclusionary? Was there kind of like a cooler than you thing going on? or
2: No, I don't think so. It was just, I don't know. It was just, I really, I had, even though I was like into punk rock, I hadn't really, um, to me there was like a real barrier between the people on the floor and the people on the stage. And right. I always saw myself as a person on the floor, not a right. person on the stage, sure. you know? And so, like my heroes were like and Jazz, you know, and, like, there was a band called Saki Kato that was happening around Chicago. And, like, um, Apocalypse Hoboken was playing and the Bull Weevils. And I just saw it as, like, that was such a cool crowd, you know? Right. And we weren't good enough for that, you mm. know? Um, but slowly, Chicago really started to embrace us. Mm. And so we were opening for, like, Good Riddance and... Ensign at the Fireside Bowl. Nice. We were the opener for like a veil and discount at the Fireside. You know, we were we played with Strife. Um, <laughs> nice. We played. Yeah. Well, I I was straight edge. Or I am straight edge. And so like that hardcore yes. world was like still as much as I loved like all the, like this. The punk role I was going to see. By was the kid that was also going to the Snapcase shows and the Earth Crisis sure. shows and the Integrity shows and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was the other thing too. Was like my band did not sound like Snapcase or Earth Crisis or Integrity, and okay. so I had a lot of, um, I don't know, like self doubt because of that. Oh, I, was like, oh, I see. I, like I need to be in a tougher band. Like yeah, this is, yeah. Like to be a straight edge hardcore kid, your bands gotta sound like these bands, sure. you know? Yeah, and that I, was like, my, a- and right. So, when I, but when I picked up a guitar, that's not what I played or not what I. What I wrote, and so right. I saw myself as kind of a, not not part of that scene. Sure. Um, but yeah, like we played, but we also played like slapsticks final shows at the fireside, nice. which were huge. So we we definitely like towards the end of our 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 whole thing, we were getting a lot of legs. But I don't think that we knew what to do with those legs, you know. Yeah, so right. It was, and and then we were also losing some like key members that were it was a it was a family of a band, you know. Right, and right. so it didn't feel like a family anymore, and so. We were really just doing it for fun, and when it wasn't fun anymore, we uh, we kind of hung it up.
0: And what, what was going on in Chicago in like the early to mid nineties? It seemed like there was a real kind of hotbed of activity between punk and hardcore, and a lot of really well-known bands and people kind of wound up coming out of that scene. Like, what, what was what was going on in, in Chicago at that time that made it such a made it such a hotbed of activity like that?
2: That's a great question. I mean, Fireside was definitely like the epicenter of that. Sure, because yeah. before Fireside, you know, we were all Elks Lodges and Knights of Columbus Halls and basements and random party houses. Uh, right. You know, we, we had established venues like Metro, but Metro was 1100 cap, you know, so it's too big yeah, for you a lot of people. Couldn't crack the Metro, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That was a big deal. And so yeah. Fireside became an epicenter, um, and so that, I feel, felt like it helped kind of make those scenes more tight-knit. Yeah. To have a regular place that shows were happening, and every night could be different. You know, I mean, you could have the hardcore straight edge, you know, night on Monday night, uh, and then the next one would be like the gutter punk bands would play, and the next one would be like all of the really indie rock stuff that was happening in Chicago might play, or the emo bands like Braid, right? Um, yeah. or Captain Jazz, or you know, all the many. Most cap and jazz side projects we'll all be playing like every night you know so yeah yeah one of them yeah and i was like a um i was like a fireside rat like okay I, when i left um high school and i was you know i graduated high school i was 18 and i moved right into the city and i got a i moved into a house that was near the fireside pretty much and that was my goal was just to go to shows i mean and I was, that was
0: in t- intentional you wanted to get a place by the fireside yeah, I wanted to be that's close awesome. to like shows. Yeah, and sure, so it was like yeah. a, it was a
2: it was a punk house, you know. Um, I lived with a bunch of like punk kids. We had
0: bands sleeping over on our floors. Um, that's not that's not the nicest neighborhood in the world, too. Especially then, no,
2: right? It wasn't yeah. that nice. I was like maybe a mile north of there, two miles north of there. So it was fine, okay. but it was like, and I didn't at that point of your age, like you don't really care about nice or yeah, not you nice, give a you know? Shit, yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, <laughs> and like I'm like, and you're just like, I don't know, I like I feel like. I go with, I. I went through my adolescence through the lens of like a white male, right? So yeah, danger is different to me, and, and now I realize like oh like these neighborhood neighbors are are dangerous to you, someone who maybe was not me. But there yeah, was sure. so so many shows, so many bands. I think I think even your boy Brian Fallon said he slept on my floor once, even though we never met.
0: Yeah, at that yeah, because so. he did. Uh, he was in a band called Lane Meyer that toured oh, with Lawrence
2: Arms. That's that's it, totally right. Yeah, because Neil yeah. and I lived together. In that house when Lawrence Arms right. was starting, because yeah, um, when
0: Gaslight first started playing, Brian had a bunch of a bunch of like good personal connections in Chicago that right. that I didn't know that were his connections from from the Lane Meyer days. You know, staying at Amber's house and stuff. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. So they, yeah, I, that definitely wouldn't surprise me because one of yeah. the early times we went there, I think we may have stayed at Neil's apartment uh, uh, in Chicago somewhere. Yeah. Oh so, uh, yeah. So that might have yeah. been.
2: That might have been my house even, or it was maybe, well, Neil moved out after that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. We had like,
2: I remember Newfound Glory staying there, like that band, like Elliot from Louisville like stayed mm. there once. So we were all just making music and, and seeing music. And I think that, so to answer your question, like how did Chicago like create all this stuff? Like I think part of what's happening having just a really, really good momentum when in terms of like a scene that had regular shows and lots of opportunity to play. And so- around that time like when baxter broke up um i joined um arma angelus which with uh pete wentz all right yeah and so pete and i were in this band he was i was the bass player and he was the singer and it was like just kind of really technical hardcore like in the vein of like creationist crucifixion or like abnegation or like those kind of bands
0: you know because all his bands at the time were super heavy yeah yeah so i
2: had known people a long time and he had like firstborn and culture of violence and they were all hardcore bands um metal hardcore vegan straight edge bands you know and so we were doing that um i also was in was this after i I also joined i was played based in the honor system which was did you really yeah, so I was their first oh, wow. bass I was the first bass player in the honor system. Um it was so Chicago had the Broadways. Right. And the Broadway And the Broadways and Baxter played a lot together. Um and then when the Broadways broke up, they formed the Lawrence Arms and they formed the honor system. Right. Um I remember going to a party after they broke up and all the guys in the Broadways were all there. And at that same party, um Brendan cornered me and asked me to start a band with him. And then after he walked away, Dan Hannaway... uh quarter me <laughs> and asked me to start a band with them <laughs> and that's at the same exact so party sought
0: after, yeah. <laughs> well yeah i don't know well,
2: i was like what is happening and so i was like oh i'm gonna go i don't know what to do here and they and they all kind of hated each other at that moment when they were breaking up too so it was really ah, awkward right. so it was like yeah. picking a parent and a divorce kind of sure. thing yeah and um and it was interesting for me and neil too because we grew up together and what would happen is i would join the honor system and he would join the lawrence arms you know ah, right. and this is all there back then it was a kind of a heightened sort of rivalry between the two. Obviously oh, really? that, uh, yeah. I mean, this was, it's, it, it was just the heightened post band breakup. I think, Sure. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I didn't really have a, f- like a horse in the race. Right. Because I just loved all the guys in the broadways. Thought both bands were great. My best friend was playing drums for the Lawrence arms. You know, and I was playing bass in the honor system, but those guys weren't necessarily like on like speaking terms. Like you wouldn't see them playing shows together. And I think that it. all, that all eventually dissipated it. And I think they're all bros. Now, but at the time it was like, oh, like, like our parents just got divorced and Neil went with mom and I went with dad. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. 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 And yeah. we were still living in the same house, like, at that time, too. So, yeah, I did their first demo. If you could find the Honor Systems first demo, I actually sing Lee vocal on an entire song. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Called Single File. No shit. Uh, yeah. Honor Systems,
0: good, good group. People should check them out. If yeah. They
2: really know. Yeah. Right. It was, I thought it was great. It was a very, like, it was like very, like, uh, I don't know. I thought it was like a Jets to Brazil kind of vibe or whatever. And yeah, I really enjoyed. Yeah, I yeah. never, I never played like bass. I was playing bass like in that band, and it was a lot of fun. And so, um, but fun. it wasn't where my, my heart wasn't in that band, and my heart wasn't in Armangelis either. And so, um, that's kind of when Rise Again started.
0: It was like shortly after, after all yeah. that. That's awesome. Speaking of Chicago, mm. give me please your favorite all time Chicago band. Okay. Your favorite all time Chicago food. Ooh. And your favorite all time Chicago movie. I know I was joking with you about John Hughes. Right, yeah.
2: Holy crap. Okay, the band is easy. It's Peg Boy. Um, Very nice. Just so good. Stands a test of time. Sure does. The recordings, the songwriting. Um, I mean, that's kind of. It's funny you asked, like, what gets me into, like. Um, ready for like to, to do vocals in a studio or I'll add to that, like what I do to get ready before I go on stage. I sing Pegboy boy songs. I grab nice. an acoustic guitar <laughs> and they really are. They're kind of like my Beatles. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they, they're really, I don't know. It was just a really special band and a special time in Chicago. Their shows you, were magical, you know?
0: Yeah. I, I uh, never got to see him in that time. What, what do you think would be a good, Pegboy's starting off uh thing for people to listen to if they wanted to get into it just get uh, in right yeah. into field of darkness or
2: yeah anything off strong reaction like, yeah. the, like just start with um strong reaction that's the first song off the record you know um that's really good stuff great lyrics i don't know i have this dream of like like um doing like an acoustic album of only pegboy songs. Oh
0: fuck yeah. <laughs> cuz
2: not only uh, not only cuz I'm doing that in like a backstage shower bathroom like before a show most nights anyway yeah, when I'm on yeah. tour but and so I get so I'm like hearing them and I'm like oh this would be great but also just like uh I think I don't know I want people to know how good the songs are. You know what I mean? And I think they're great. I would prefer pegboy play them but I feel like sometimes when you cover a song you could really kind of gateway drug somebody into a band. Sure. And, um, if I, I recall, like,
0: didn't didn't you play a Pegboy Boy song on one of the tours we did? Didn't Rise Against I, cover a Pegboy Boy song?
2: I'm sure we did. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't even, it I don't know. Familiar now. I, I don't know which it, song we would have done or what you're talking about, but the, we do that all the time. So yeah, yeah, like I'm, I'm like sound, I, we're sound checking to it. You know, we're all uh, that like, might have
0: been it. Yeah, I feel like my ears perked up one day, and I was like, um, yeah, totally. One of our right. sound
2: check go tos is like probably. Uh, through my fingers, you know, songs like that. So, okay, That's so awesome. you said favorite band? That's Peg Boys, yeah, without a doubt. My okay, band. give me
0: food. Give me Chicago food. food. We go dogs. We go pizza. Oh my gosh, both are pretty amazing. And like,
2: <laughs> um, uh, I guess I gotta go do the deep dish pizza. Um, now,
0: what's your spot? Because I've been hearing a lot of different stuff recently.
2: Yeah, and you will, and you'll—you'll you'll always hear different spots. They're—they're they're all great, and they're all different. I think, uh, like, my gym is Lou Malnati's. Okay. Um That's just like, but I—but I mean, I won't turn down like a slice from Chicago's. You know, I won't turn down Giordano's. Uh, Pequod's is like a whole different vibe, but it's also good. It doesn't even belong in the same category. So um, where
0: do you land though? I, I had just for my other podcast I just did an interview with a guy named Robert Mays, who's a you know, a you know, tried and true Chicago guy and he's a sports mm-hmm. writer. And I asked okay. him the pizza question. Now every time I go to Chicago, I go to Giordano's. That's what it's called, right? Giordano's.
2: uh Giordano's. Yeah,
0: Giordanos. I always yeah. go there because I got it the first time I was there. Yeah. I was like, this is one of the best fucking things I've ever tasted in my mouth ever. Totally. I don't totally. care what it is. Um, you know, I don't even know if it's pizza. I just know I like it. And mm-hmm. I always ordered that. And he had kind of a strong stance that hmm. that is not Chicago pizza. And that <laughs> if it's stuffed, it's not Chicago. And that you need the the crispness of the pan uh, deep dish mm. style to designate it Chicago pizza. Where where do you land on that argument?
2: Oh my god. Dude, I grew up in this town. <laughs> <laughs> I got to live in this town.
0: <laughs> oh, so you you're not even allowed to draw a line?
2: The, I don't know how far you want to go down this rabbit hole, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I think it's, you know, these are, you know, these are these are fighting words, you know. Gotta, you could
0: lose. You could lose fans with the wrong I mean, answer here.
2: I got. I got. I got. I got to have neighbors that still <laughs> like me. You know. I got to. I don't want to have to hire security. You know. A <laughs> oh, new new whole security system. It's, all, it's on, dicey. Tim, it's dicey here in Chicago. Take a stand,
0: man. You know. Uh, You've always been so lukewarm in your oh feelings. <laughs> it's
2: easier to take on international politics yeah, than exactly. it is to take on Chicago's feeling towards pizza. Yeah, you have
0: like you have like protest and riot videos, and you won't give me an oh. opinion on Chicago pizza. That says something. Oh, that really does. Those
2: people are dangerous, man. I want to. I don't want to ruffle those feathers. <laughs>
0: it's
2: really funny. I, I think you know. Right. God, God bless. God bless whatever pizza you like in Chicago. They, everyone's making really good stuff. If it's still there. I mean, after all these years, and, and, and yeah. there's, there's there's variety in our pizza. It's like people aren't just trying to recreate one slice; they're trying to do different things, and that's what's cool about it. And so, when you sure. come to town, do the touristy thing get your get your big slice from like Pizzeria Uno or you know, Giordano's <laughs> or wherever else, and then ask the locals, and they'll send you to Pequod's. But then if you go to Pequod's, right. someone might tell you, yeah, but the guy that used to own Pequod's has a place three doors down, and you got to go there. <laughs>
1: right, and then, the the, at, yeah. and then
2: you go to that spot, and like what you're going to find is a different kind of pizza in right. every place. And that's a beautiful thing. That variety mm. is a beautiful thing. you know, go to the mm. Art of Pizza on Western Avenue um, across from the old Atlas uh, Studios, and like that's an amazing pizza. It doesn't taste like uh, Giordano's, but it's right. like, it's really good. And I I like that. I like that people in Chicago are trying different stuff and whatever your favorite is like, God bless you. But like, um, I, I pretty much, I always get Illuminati's and then when I, ever I go downtown and I go to a show or whatever and I'm leaving at like one or two in the morning, I get one, a slice from Chicago's on my way okay. out of the city. I'm, they're open to like four in the morning. There's okay. a handful of them around and like, that's always my jam too. And like, to the point where it's almost like Pavlov's dog, I can't. I don't care if we just had dinner. Like I might be going to yeah, get that slice yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. right after dinner before I before I drive home.
0: I know all about. I have a couple spots in the. I can't get out of New York without doing the same thing. As oh my god! Typical bridge and tunnel guy. I got my couple spots pretty close to right. the tunnel where you can double park. No big deal. Mm, yeah, and I, was- I don't give a shit if I'm hungry. It's just like. This happens every couple months, so you gotta get it. You know, gotta pay the pizza tax. <laughs> exactly, that's kind of what it is. It's the yeah, total pizza <laughs> tax. All right. Yeah. So, what about Chicago movie? Oh, we go on, like Adventures in Babysitting.
2: I mean, the quintessential Chicago movie is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Sure. Um, yeah, uh, more than uh, the Fugitive. I, I, n- yeah, yeah, more than the Fugitive. Well, oh, and oh, and I guess. <laughs> I mean, well, Breakfast Club is a great Chicago movie, but obviously it takes place inside, indoors, right? You know, almost all of it, um, and so you don't get a lot of Chicago. That said, you know, Ferris Bueller, a lot of it was filmed in California. Um, oh, you will I didn't know you will, that you will notice that, like some of oh. those, some of those scenes are have like palm trees in the background and shit. So that's, but as far as like, like I just. I had my girls watch it for the first time, like this year, and, and like, oh okay, and they they lasted about a half hour before they got so annoyed with my laugh <laughs> 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 at parts they did not find funny. You yeah, know? they're like, "What so- the
0: fuck is?" <laughs> 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 I
2: know, yeah, <laughs> I'm just dying. I'm just dying. Yeah. Uh, I was, I, I'll tell you the part I was dying too, like when, yeah. um, when Homeboy is taking attendance, mm-hmm. you know, you know, when he goes Bueller, Bueller. over and over yeah yeah but before he did ben, ben, right? ben stein ben stein right. Right. yeah right when ben stein but it's the kid that doesn't answer the first time remember <laughs> <Right>. this <laughs> with that weird face with yeah. the weird but he's like chewing gum yes and he doesn't answer the first time even though he heard it yeah and then he says his name again and he real snarkily he looks yeah. up he goes here Yeah, just like really ticked off, and I just I was like crying, just laughing. Just some of those scenes in that movie are just like so Chicago. But and
0: what were your two daughters just looking at you like you're nuts?
2: Oh yeah, they were like right back on TikTok and like out the door, (laughs) just like nope, Dad, we're not doing this whole like movie from your childhood thing. Uh, It's not happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Which is which is crazy too, because you know I um, my grandparents, my parents were from the neighborhoods that they filmed all those movies. And so right. my grandparents lived there when I was younger. And that's where I, where I went for like every holiday, Christmas, Thanksgiving. It's like Evanston, Wilmette area around there. Okay. Um, yeah. And that's where like Uncle Buck, right. home, home Alone, like that house is, you know, I drive right by it when and I would go out to my grandma's, the Home Alone house. Um,
0: so the home, oh, okay, good. The Home Alone house is legit in a suburb of Chicago. That's good too. Yeah, that's all okay. North Shore.
2: Like, I mean, John Hughes was from up there. And so a lot of his movies, like- you can, you know, you you'll you'll ride down Shermer Road, which John Hughes named the high school and Breakfast Club Shermer High. Uh, yeah, okay. You know, so all that neighborhood, very much, it's all it's like the the pretty and pink. Those neighborhoods are all there, and they feel just like those movies. They still do to this, to this day. Like when you ride That's those awesome. neighborhoods, you feel like you're riding through those movies. Oh. But I, I guess I gotta say first Bueller. It just like it's like does the whole the whole tour. Of like yeah. Chicago, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty quintessential.
0: I mean, you literally had a Cubs Cubs game. You're at the museum.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if it was a White Sox game, that would have been better, but like, we'll take the Cubs, you know?
0: Oh, okay. You're a White Sox fan.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's why I have security in front of my house. Cause I'm a White Sox
0: fan. <laughs> Got you. Got you.
2: Well, I, th-
0: I think you chose the cool team in Chicago personally.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, I don't, I don't know why, people, how people end up choosing teams for me. It was like a family thing. You know, my family was always Sox fans, you know? Yeah. And so, but uh, it's they're on
0: fire this year, so it's exciting. Well, the White Sox are like the New York Mets of Chicago. Oh yeah. And totally. I've always kind of like, you know, I'm a lifelong Yankees fan. So even though I'm very proud to be such a you know grand winner all the time, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, right. I do I do feel like eh, maybe it's the punk rocker in me that's you know always like. Yeah, let's give one to the Mets, you know? <laughs> right, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's, just, it happens the same way in Chicago. Now. Yeah. Speaking of your daughter, you said your daughter is 16 and ones 12. Mm-hmm. Do they have any, uh, effect to you in getting you into like contemporary music or movies? Like they're old enough now that are they, are they pulling you into some younger stuff that you wouldn't have been exposed to?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, They never got into rock music or punk rock or any of that stuff. They're vaguely vaguely aware of what I do for a living. Um, Gotcha. They they see it as some sort of novelty. You know, like, oh, dad does a different kind of job than other dads. But that's about where it ends, you know? That's cool. And then they're way into, like, pop music, especially my older one. And so, you know, we've gone to the Justin Bieber concert together. You know, we've done that. You know, we've been to the Taylor Swift concerts. Um, We've... I cruise her out to all the like the pop show, the pop holiday shows, you know. Cool, cool. Like whatever, whatever the, they call them out by you, but like, you know, whatever the big jam is, you know, it's happening. Sure, yeah. And so I've seen a lot of music that I would not have voluntarily seen, um, <laughs> right. and shows and listened to a lot because then they control the radio too. And so right. I listened to a lot of music. And so it's been really, it was challenging at first, you know what I mean? It was first, it was like, you know, single tier. My kids aren't rock kids, you know. <laughs>
1: right, and then, right, right.
2: then it was like, and now I got to listen to this like really disposable pop music. Um, but then I also like saw the, what I did see of myself in them was that they love music. You know, they sure. don't love my, they don't love my music, but right. music is not just in the background for especially my oldest daughter. Like it's something right. that she is really in tune with and and loves it. And so I would take her to the shows, or you know encourage that in any way i could but you also got to encourage it but you also got to like steer clear of it you know because right. if you're if you're too involved that's not cool at all right you know what yeah. i mean that can't, I, you can't show your hand too much because and, and i and see even even to the point where like if she can tell that i like something like she'll start to distance herself from it you know <laughs>
0: oh it's because like not, what just inherently it's not whatever cool. dad's like is a little less cool yeah it's not cool it's, so it's, how, it's how that, do you have that, to that, play like, it you just play it like yeah this is all right yes that's totally how I play like, it plays like yeah like right and in then, the middle
2: right and then our world is so small like as you know that there's sometimes like i have some like even second or third degree connection with like the artist or their crew or their team you know and so right
0: sometimes i'll let that slip thinking that it's like a cool point and it oh will, right it, like i know taylor Swift, like guitar tech or something exactly yeah and actually yeah I right
2: and, and, and it's it's funny you bring that up because I knew Justin Bieber's guitar player and he was like okay. a big rise against fan. and I met him at a show somewhere and it was he was like he like he was a big fan he wanted to like hang out, you know and so I thought that was like a cool point. And my, my daughter only saw it as, like, a negative. Really? <laughs>
1: <Like, Yeah. laughs>
2: well, yeah, I think she was kind of like, Dad, you know? I mean, what if, like, I don't know how to, like, what if, like, your, like, parent was, like, really good buddies with, like, Milo from The Descendants?
0: You know what right. I mean? Yeah. And be Like, oh, yeah, this is yeah. so
2: lame. I was my dad and Milo buddies, you know? I like, thought you would,
1: Milo was cool, man. What I, I you know. know.
2: And then like, and then you're playing like Milo goes to college, and your dad comes. In, he's like, "Oh, this reminds me of a story about me and Milo." You know, and it's like, oh, <laughs> you're ruining this for me, Dad." You know. Oh, it's so funny. And so I kind of have to like, I I have to like care, be careful with what I like. I'll hear a band, but I'll, I'll know that like I know their booking agent because like she's a friend of mine, and I'll be like, I'll right, just like right. I'll just keep that to myself. <laughs>
0: you know. <laughs> I feel like you're gonna get the cash in this card pretty soon. I feel like you've. You've held it pretty close, Mm -hmm. and you kept it pretty cool. And then, like in a couple years, she'll be off to college, and maybe get like retro, get nostalgic, start going back, and then realize (laughs) like, oh, Dad, you played with this band. Like, I think, I think if you keep it, if you keep it cool, this might, this might, it's like a long con,
2: you know. I I think so too. I mean, as you can imagine, she's been spoiled at these shows. You know what I mean? Like, of course, Justin Bieber's meet and greet crew are like half warp tour alumni.
0: You know? And you so should like, send your daughter into some general admission situation oh so she knows what it's like. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes. You're
2: you're not the first person to have said that and like, I've hey, definitely hey, thought kid, it over. Get and over. out there
0: into the shit, all right? I oh, have to yeah. do it.
2: You know? I know. That's the that's the balance, the tricky balance. Where I'm like, do you know that there's a not a, a VIP section at yeah, shows? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Some people have to wait in lines before right. they get in here. Yeah. yeah. They,
2: don't, they don't always get tickets, you know?
0: It's funny, though. I think you might be doing a good job based on a conversation I had with Ian Perkins the other day. So oh, yeah. I was talking to Ian Perkins the other day, and I was saying how my son, who's, you know, uh, four and three quarters, he. Awesome. Uh, he we were talking about how he wants to do a Horowitz family family band record mm-hmm. soon, and uh, I told him to pitch me his cover art, and apparently it was going to be snowy hills with a sled on top. Mm. Well, yeah, it's nice, you know, it's right. artistic. Yeah. And right. I'm telling Ian about that, and he's like, "Oh, it sounds like Elliott Smith record, man, you know." And uh, <laughs> and I'm like, "Well." I don't really want my child writing Elliott Smith songs, you know, because that means that I did something wrong, and that right. means like he's not doing that well, even though he'll write beautiful songs. And I'm like, and I was like, you know what? Like in general, if my kid gets that into punk rock or that into something like that, that might mean I'm doing something wrong. And if mm. and if they're actually into like pop music and nice music and happy music and want to actually enjoy themselves in their lives. Then maybe I did something right. So I'm wondering now if if the real punk rock thing to do is not give punk rock to our kids.
2: Wow, that's pretty profound, right there, Benny. I don't
0: know. Just say I'm just spitballing <laughs> might, here, Tim. It might I'm just, be true. <laughs> I'm just I'm just spitball
1: Well, my wife and I just talked about whether we should like pretend to the kids that we were raging Republicans from the get go, so mm-hmm. they turned out so they wouldn't, you know,
0: they were right. something to
1: rebel against and. <laughs> it's kind of the same vibe, right? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, that,
0: that one it could backfire. It could backfire. I mean, this yeah. is like the
2: <laughs> that, that could back. Yeah, that would be awful.
0: <laughs> Especially, do you, do
2: you guys have daughters or sons or what?
0: I got one of each. Yeah, oh, okay. so like
2: you got to think about how how old are you, all your kids?
0: Brad, you go.
1: Uh, I've got a 9-year-old boy and a 12-year-old girl.
0: I got a three-year-old girl and a four-year-old boy. Okay, all right.
2: So we both have twelve-year-old girls too. Um,
1: Who's very into pop music. All the all the all the names you listed.
2: Totally, yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of Billie Eilish in your house.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Lizzo. She's into Lizzo, which I can totally get behind. But
0: oh my god, I took. Annoying. I took my kids. Are you guys? Are you guys banning that Cardi B song, or are you letting it into your house?
2: Uh, that's the thing. Is like I have a 16 year old and a 12 year old, so that's very different. Like filters, <laughs> you know. Right. Like my, yeah. My 16 year old is sure. everything. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I brought them to. Is it? Uh, I I brought my older one to, uh, the hip hop state, the Chicago hip hop stations annual show, last year, which was uh like Migos and, either, either a little baby or Duh Baby. I'm not sure which one. It's it's Duh Baby, yeah. Uh, but there's also a little baby Benny.
0: Oh, there's, there's a little baby too. Uh,
2: yeah, keep up oh, here. Keep okay. up. Keep up with I, me.
0: You know, I get the new Post Malone <laughs> record and I find out who the baby is, and I felt really cool. All right, yeah, you know. All right, totally. Ah. Yeah.
2: <sighs> well, this. Yeah, I I like Post Malone too. Ella. I think there's. I mean. I think we were going there to the records that she's listened to that I like. Like I like Billie Eilish, I like Lord, I like Post Malone, Um, I like I like Taylor Swift. I think that's like some really great songwriting, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's so you deny those tunes. Like your filter changes, you know? I mean, it's like I'm not listening to this, but I will listen to this. Um, But I'm watching Meg the Stallion with my 16 year old daughter and her friends in like December. Yeah. And it would say you're going to that show. No, I no, I, I watched it. I went to that show. Oh yeah, all right, no um, shows, right? Yeah, no shows. Yeah, probably not. But so I was at this <laughs> yeah, show, right. and I I felt like the way like you probably felt when you were watching a movie with your parents, and like the adult scene scene came on, like the sex scene. in yeah, uh, yeah. the movie, I just remember watching Meg The Stallion play, and it's like you know she's great, does her whole thing, but I'm like, I'm I'm watching the NC seventeen version of like music right now with my <laughs> 16 year old you know and i and i think that she has a right to listen to this and hear this i don't want to be in the same room and i remember just turning and being like i'm gonna go get some drinks yeah <laughs> i was like i gotta get out of this is like a, just a cringeworthy weird um moment but that's and that's the thing about the pop music too is that like is there's it's there's so much of it that's misogynistic you know um yeah and, right especially right. my older girls into a lot of like the hip-hop of the day, and I just, I can't wrap my head around why, you know. Like, I just, like, I like I turned to her, and I'm like, I realize that this guy is affectionately referring to his partner as his bitch, but, like, just so you know, if I ever said that to your mom, <laughs> at any point in the last 21 years I've known her, like, you wouldn't be here right now, <laughs> you know? Like, if this was ever... Like a lyric in one of my songs, uh, <laughs> like your mom would yeah. would not put up with this, you know. And like, and I hope that your future partner, or a, you don't think that your future partner should be. This is the way he should be talking about you. But anyway, I digress. What I was thinking about with all of our kids, <laughs> and you were talking about like uh, pretending that you're like a raging Republican. So um, your kid, if they were if they were to rebel against you, then they yeah. would end up like in a in a place that you'd like them to be in. Um, I always think about like you know, um, there's six kids between us and what that means is this next phase of life that we'll eventually all be in is there'll be six partners in your life, like six, like like in-laws, son-in-laws, daughter-in-laws, whatever it's going to be, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's going to like, just like you are somebody's in-law probably, you know, um, that's like a whole different phase of life that like, I think about like, Oh, right. There's, I've, I've yet to meet this person that my daughters will spend the rest of their lives with, you know? Right. Yeah. And that's, that's like a family. I think of my family as like over, like I'm not having more kids. You know what I mean? Like I'm married, mm-hmm. I have two kids. This is what it looks like. It's like, no, there's still two more people coming, oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: right. you
2: know? And it's like, what's the, what's that going to be like? And mm. what if it's somebody I can't stand, you know, or, <laughs> yes. or, 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 or am I that person that my wife's family can't stand?
0: Right. <laughs> oh my God. I know. Right.
2: You know, it's a it's huge. Like you're about to be like you became part of someone's family, and some and one of these one of these 16 year old boys running around my neighborhood right now is going to be a part of my family in like five years. You know,
0: dude, Tim, that is fucking terrifying. Sorry, I I didn't. didn't,
2: Sorry, I I didn't mean that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: because at first you're like, oh, you know, I'm like, oh, I could deal with the 16-year-old if I don't like him that much. But when you said you might be the parent, that they th-, <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. And I could easily be that guy. I got to tread lightly. <laughs> oh, my it's God. so funny, man. Well, speaking of your kids, like, mm-hmm. you know. You're you're about the same age as me. Brad is in his seventies, so we do not. But you know, we were yeah, both I'm not going
1: uniquely... to meet those other. I'll be I'll be senile, but yeah, long Good for you, yeah, long what been good for you.
2: Good plan, Brad,
1: that Brad. was
0: the plan? <laughs> but but you know, Tim and I are what I've I've heard recently in a magazine called Zenials, which Christ. is you know basically we're in the millennial group, but we grew up in sort of more the Generation X time because we grew up without the Internet, without home computers, without cell phones. Um, And then, you know, sometime in our adolescence and teens sort of learned about all of it. Now, since you saw it firsthand, and now you have a 16- and 12-year-old who I'm sure very tied to technology and I'm sure virtual learning and stuff like Mm -hmm. this at this point, you know, in your estimation what what's different about this generation as a result of that than the generation we were in cuz you sort of have like a first hand look
2: right um that's a g- excellent question there's so many things that are different i guess the biggest thing is that technology you know every 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 gap in generations those generation gaps that exist i'm sure everyone thinks that their gap is the biggest right like yeah right. um but there was something about the introduction of the phone and the internet that i think really made our generation gap like a just a really huge leap yeah um and that's it's such a scary thing too and i and then i don't really even have a an answer or a solution for it and that's something that you know every parent has tackled with kids my kid's age and you'll tackle with your kids, Benny, as they're younger is like how to navigate those murky waters that no one really has a good answer, good answer for. Um, and the one thing that makes me like sad about like these, this kid, these kids generation Mm -hmm, is I think about like, I think about all the cool shit I did as a kid, you know, or all the things that I did that sort of ended up, I didn't even realize we're uh, going to be like a stepping stone into what I do today. Yes, and I go if I could go back in time, and at all those moments where I did some cool shit or something, I did some really cool like endeavor out of like just sheer boredom and nothing else to do. And if I went back in time, and I put an iPhone in thirteen-year-old Tim's hand,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
2: or maybe I went back further, I put an iPhone in nine-year-old Tim's hand, and then I put an iPhone in like fifteen-year-old Tim's hand when he when he first picked up a guitar. Or maybe put it, put it an iPhone in the internet in 17-year-old Tim's lap, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I think, would I have picked up that guitar, you know? Right. Would I have... And then picking it up, it's like it's so, being in a band is so much more than just picking up an instrument. It's, you know, sure. being motivated to learn it, you know, and to hopefully get good at it. And then maybe create songs on it, you know? And then, you know, we all started in bands, not like solo artists. So like, it was like being friends with people in your neighborhood and right. like being a name that people thought of when they thought, I want to go play music with that guy, you know, and Mm. all the things that I did. And I just think like, if you would have put a phone in my hand, I'm not sure how many of those things would have happened. And it's not even like a, like when I see my girls on their phones, um, I don't like, I, I don't, I, I, I see how their lives are so wrapped up into it. And when I get frustrated about it, a lot of times we'll get in fights because, I think they think that like I'm criticizing them and like their choices, um, yeah, you know. Right. And I'm, I just, and I, and maybe I'm really bad at, at well, I know I'm bad at communicating with teenage girls. I'll, I can, and my daughter can tell you that I am. <laughs> <laughs> but like, um, I, what I'm really trying to communicate is like that you are helpless to that phone, and that is not mm. necessarily your fault or any of our faults. Like, it, that is a perfectly designed piece of engineering. That was designed to keep your attention, and right. your your human brain, and certainly a teenager's half-formed human brain, and, m- and much less my human brain or anybody's human brain, is not an, a like it's there's not enough it's not a big enough weapon to battle against that. You know, mm. these things are they're dangerous in that way because I think that we we are helpless to them, and so I don't expect my daughters to be able to know to put the phone down. You know right. what I mean? I don't think it's like part of the skill set that like like they're being taught. It takes a lot of willpower to do that. And so sure. that's what scares me. It scares me like I wonder, are they missing things because of this phone? Or maybe they're not missing things. Maybe I'm overthinking it and they're and maybe some and maybe somebody else would argue they're actually finding things. You know what I mean? They're discovering things because of right. this phone, right. you know? And so all of those things kind of factor in but it makes me like not feel like a qualified person to shepherd them through this. Right. Because cuz I, I have more cuz I have more questions than uh than answers.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess none of us really know what it's actually doing. My mm. only hope in what you're saying is, you know, um, I don't know if you remember Brad Clifford who who toured with uh yeah. Gaslight doing tours totally. and tours with Million Bands. Uh Absolutely. You know, Brad once told me that I think I was knocking Instagram one day Mm -hmm. and he was, you know, he wasn't like coming to bat for it, but he did say that sometimes he feels more motivated to like explore and more motivated to find something cool to take a picture of because he has the opportunity to share it. And it actually kind of sparks, you know, a little bit more adventure in a place because you're looking for something. And my, my hope is almost with the youth that like, narcissism is going to lead to creation Mm because it's like, you know, yes, like they may be, it it seems from the outside as if they're serving something that that's not for themselves or they're like bowing down to this like phone overlord. But, you know, really they're trying to get attention and like Mm -hmm. what teenage person is not trying to get attention. They just have a new way to try to get attention. And, and I'm hoping in that way that like, It's like, oh, I have the opportunity to get all this attention. Let me do something that garners that attention in a good way. And even though some people might just be like, oh, I'm going to show my breasts. Um, You know, some other people may be like, hey, I'm going to learn this program and write music and share this music to get that attention. Um, So there are like all these outlets that, you know. I don't know if they're good or bad, but they're there. And I think mm-hmm. I, my hope is that it fuels creation rather than stifles it.
2: I, yeah. I think that's a great point. I've thought of that too. It's like, um, it's like, it's almost like a little cart before the horse. Like you would like to think that people want to climb to the top of the mountain out of like a natural pure desire to climb to the top of some mountain. Right. Cause people have done that in the past before phones and Instagram. Um, but who am I to really judge a person who wants to climb without mountain just to get that picture right because if you you get the picture but it got you up the mountain like exactly. that was your that was your motivation and that's you still one have ma- the
0: same experience yeah
2: absolutely and that's one more mountain that I didn't climb today you know that's that right. you climbed today so how can I sit back and like judge like well there, it's like a really, it's kind of like for vanity and narcissism. And it's like this well posed shot, you know, at sunset on the top of some huge mountain. That's but it's right. like, but I didn't do that. I sat, I sat mm-hmm. around and judged them for doing it, you know, and said that, oh, this Instagram profile isn't real life, like, or whatever, I, whatever you might say to criticize it. But That's they right. did, but they did it. And so, yes, yeah, parts of me see, I see, I see that side. And I'm, and I'm new to social media. Like, I only started it since the, the
0: lockdown. I yeah, had- I was actually shocked I, when you followed me on Instagram. Mm. I was like, "Oh wow, Tim, big follow." I was like, <laughs> "I thought, <laughs> I thought Tim Rise Against was going to have six digits here." You well, know, no, I don't think everybody knows numbers. I Was yeah. really disappointed by your I'm numbers. Sorry, team. I need Jesus. I need some help.
2: If you can coach me, Benny, so one day I can be
1: at your status.
0: <laughs> well, this be- this podcast you're doing is oh, going to okay. give you, gonna you a good me through. Yeah, you'll probably be up to a hundred k after this, right, Brad?
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah, you know, Brad was in the goops. I don't know, so it's a pretty big uh, deal. You know,
2: I pr- I appreciate the stepping stone you
0: guys are giving me. Yeah, no problem. Tim. <laughs> yeah, will yeah,
2: elevate my elevate my profile. Yeah. Any time. But, but yeah, I'm new to this whole world. I'm like I'm like turning to my daughter to like be like, how do how do I do this? What should I? What do I do? You know, how do you, how do you do this and and not overdo it and whatever else? You know, but I I do. Much more than I care about, like, you know, the numbers or whoever's following it, is that I've, I realized that um, it's actually, I was thinking about it when I started because it was a lyric that I wrote for a, a new song. And um, the lyric was, um, all the things you don't say might mean something somewhere to someone. Mm. And I was thinking about, because there's been times in the last, I don't know, like, you know, 10 or longer years since social media has been a part of who we are. That I felt compelled to like say something, you know what I mean, right. or turn right. to something. But I was also like my my like distaste for social media like kept me from doing that because I was like I don't want mm-hmm. I don't want to be a part of this, you know. And then I think as I got older, and certainly when the quarantine happened, I was thinking like you know there are people out there who care about what you have to say, you know. Right. And I don't play in the in the biggest band in the world, but like as long as there's someone out there who might give a shit about my insight into this, or it might make them feel less alone on their own insight, then who am I to like, just sit here and be a hermit and not share that, you know? And so that's one of the reasons, like the quarantine was one of the things that kind of accelerated that decision, but it was something that I was like, I, I want to connect with people that, you know, relate to my perspective and relate to our songs and might be curious and and if something I can say helps them, then like, that's, it's so lazy of me to not, to not be a part of that just for some sort of aesthetic, like cool guy reason to just not not do it, you know?
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Tim, we've t- taken a lot of your time, but I just got a surprise entry that I need to bring up and it can be the last thing of the show, okay? Of course. It's a part of the program we called Mystery Friends. <laughs> uh-huh. Last-minute mystery friend. (laughs) I have a last-minute mystery friend. Someone that came through for me, okay? So the point of this game is I'm going to tell you the the general subject of a story. That happened to you. I would like you to elaborate on this story. Tell me what happened. And then choose which mystery friend told me this story, okay? Oh, no. I'm so afraid of this moment. So I was told... Tim, have you ever arm-wrestled in a German beer hall, Sylvester Stallone over-the-top style? (laughs) Well, yeah, of course I have. (laughs) Of course you have. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So so what happened there? Oh, God damn it.
2: What was—I have a vague memory of this happening— it was a really cool German beer hall. You had to like walk down into it. And it was low ceilings. Uh, I remember. I remember turning my hat backwards <laughs> <laughs> before the arm wrestle began. So wait, this uh, was
0: like an arm wrestling section of the beer hall where people. No, speci- this was. Oh, okay, okay. This was definitely.
2: Uh, this was not a formal arm wrestling. Okay, okay. It's a, but I remember it turned into like a, a thing because we were. It was the crew guys, and they were all down sure. there after the show, and we joined, and then the bar kind of figured out who we were and i think that it became a little bit of a thing but but nothing nothing
0: formal <laughs> who did I, who did you take on um did i take on fry well mike fry is your mystery friend okay okay yeah that makes <laughs> sense to
1: <me>. yeah yeah
2: <laughs> i think there's even i think there's even a there's i think there's a photo of this somewhere that exists yeah. as well yeah uh, maybe
0: which, we can make that the cover of the uh, yeah the totally yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh, lots of lots of fun adventures in Germany. Yeah, no shit, man. Always. Uh-huh. Well, Tim, we've been on for an hour and a half. Thanks, man. Oh yeah, we sorry have. I'm sorry. I'm a,
2: I'm, a, I'm a talker. That's my fault.
0: No, that's why I asked you I yeah, even right. listen. I still had questions I didn't even get to. Oh good. Well,
2: you know, so. <laughs> I, I, you guys are definitely uh, the you to to uh, to float your boat a little bit. I've listened to the Going Off Track podcast a whole bunch. Oh well, um, yeah. wow. For nice, many, ma- for many, many years, um, and I've always thought that. I mean, a you guys cover guests that I care about, so that's become a real go-to. But it's always been good conversations. You guys are having some of the best ones out there, so I was oh, happy to. Tim. I was happy and honored to because I'm a fan of the podcast.
0: Oh, you make me feel good. That's very sweet. Yeah, you guys do a great job. Well, Tim, thanks again, man. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, thank you, guys. Well, that was a fun interview. Absolutely. Tim is cool, dude. He's so cool. I really enjoyed that. So he's got socials now.
1: Yeah, he's we better get his, we better get him some fans. I got to get
0: him to hundred k, or else we'll never get a guest everybody, again.
1: Yeah, everybody better yeah. go. Better go follow him. It's just his name, so just take the space out and find him on Instagram. Yeah. Rise Against, Easy, Same. Instagram, and you know how Twitter. we know
0: Tim is super famous. Is that he has a Twitter page dedicated to Tim Mickelraff quotes. I mean, that's powerful. Right. If someone's. I can't even get someone to have a fucking Wikipedia for me to just have general information about my life. And this guy's got his own Twitter with quotes, like with just famous quotes, you know? That's some like. It's like some throw kind of shit if you can get to that point, you know? It's like walled. I don't know. That's, that's, that is that's pretty a, major, That's the next. It's the next step, you know? It's the next step. And um, that's, an, again, another sly, sly way of telling someone out there to please make a Wikipedia page for me. I mean, <laughs> what do I got to do, Brad? I'm begging at this point, you know? Come on. We must have some geek out
1: there that's, that's proficient. Well, don't enough. call me geek. Hey, man. I, I you just, you just
0: ruined it for me.
1: Oh, no, I'm a proud <laughs> geek. Why don't you do it then? Uh, I tried to make a Wikipedia page once and they never accepted it. Wouldn't it be good for the
0: program? (laughs) Yeah, it would be. I got denied on Instagram. I got denied my check. I tried to get verified on Instagram. Oh yeah. And in order to do it, you have to send a fucking picture of your license, which really bothered me. I was like, this fucking sucks. That means Facebook has my license right now. And a couple people were like, yeah, you should really do it. My wife said I should do it. So I'm like, fine, I but guess I'll do it. Close. And then I submitted my license and got denied. So now they have my information and I didn't get the blue check. Double negative. But
1: you're close. You're really close to like the automatic.
0: What do you do, though? 10K. I got denied.
1: You gotta got to get 10K denied. and then you're good to go,
0: though. I, I don't know, man. I don't think I could do it.
1: You're almost there, I thought.
0: Oh, well, whatever. I'm not going to listen. Listen, I've I, i I've had a hard time pandering to these social media sites to begin with. Being rejected by them yeah, no. is not something Stores. I was emotionally ready for, you know? I really wasn't. It's was like, like when
1: your friends take you kicking and screaming to some club you don't want to go to, and then the bouncer doesn't let you in anyway. then it sucks anyway. Yeah.
0: Dude, I didn't want to come in. I didn't even want to be here, man. You know what? Fuck you. I didn't even want to come in. I know it just sounds like that. Because everyone says that when they can't get in. But I really didn't want to be here. But now I do want to get in. Yeah, but now can you hook me up, dude? (laughs) I'll take my hat off, I swear. (laughs) Yeah. You ever been in a bar that did that? Where at like 6 o'clock they're like, take your hat off? Yes, yes, yes. I'm like, take your fucking hat off, me head.
1: (laughs) I, uh... (laughs) I've been around too many backwards baseball caps in my life to like to really make a fuss about that particular um, rule. Mm. Sorry, Benny.
0: You know, my grandpa always used to say, I used to wear a backwards baseball cap. He'd be like, what are you, a catcher? (laughs) What are you, a catcher? And then my other grandpa, when I started sagging my pants and wearing the big pants, he said, it looks like you got a load in your pants. (laughs) See, this is wisdom. Wisdom from another time. I love it. I love it. I mean those pants were really big. It was the 90s. Yeah, I remember that decade vaguely. Jenkos. See, your pants <laughs> oh, were small in that decade. Jinkers, Mine yeah, were big. wearing tight pants, dude. <laughs> yeah. No, I was full on full on skater. I would buy like the biggest jeans I could possibly get and then cut them to make like the biggest right, shorts. Right. But I was also a chubby kid. So, I know we've talked about this where just hardcore fashion at the time was really conducive to a chubby kid. Yeah, you know the baggy big pants, shirts. hoodies. Yeah, I had nothing to worry about. Easy peasy. You know, shave your head, throw on a hoodie, throw on some big stuff. Easy. You know, now wow. there's all these standards. <laughs> you gotta have like a full sleeve and a plug and mm. some cool shirts. Got to be kitted out, dude. Your jeans have to be ripped before you even buy them. You know?
1: Yeah, that's ridiculous. What is that? What is that?
0: But we have a Patreon now, speaking of ripped jeans. Oh, and we just
1: got a new patron. We did. Um, I mean, we got a couple since we've talked about it. We got a big one.
0: Yeah, I got it.
1: I'm going on now that I can log on. Oh, but uh, yeah, if if you are interested. um, Vicente. Am I saying that right? I don't
0: know. Probably. Vicente gave us one. Um, Thanks, man.
1: Patreon.com slash going off track. And, um, yeah, there'll be more and more bonus content probably as now that I'm back from the woods. Yeah. Social Uh, media We've got some stuff up there that's pretty interesting, I think. There's a, there's a, there's one full episode. No, there's two full episodes, full podcast episodes that you can only get there.
0: Yeah. So, um,
1: yeah, check that out. I've been writing some random shit. Benny, Benny makes his guest appearances every so often. Well, um, I
0: felt, I felt compelled this last one. To talk about tune in drop out because of how badly i messed up talking about timothy leary in the last episode <laughs> with Bartie strange i was like man i sounded dumb so i didn't notice that you didn't sound uh, stupid benny i was like drop drop in oh right <laughs> tune, tune in you know the thing that he I said it was
1: funny that you didn't know it i mean come yeah. on it's like you know that's some grandpa shit there
0: I know, but it would imply that I'm doing acid, and that's why I like him so much. Oh. Like I think if someone listened to only last week's episode and saw The Patreon, they think I'm like a heavy drug guy, like <laughs> like into like mushrooms and ayahuasca journeys and, and things like that, you know. <laughs> I don't plan on doing that till I'm 70. I'm going Alan Arkin and Little Miss Sunshine, that's my plan. Once plan. I hit 70, I'm going to have a little bag of heroin I'm going to bring around with hey,
1: me. That's my plan, dude.
0: Yeah? Yeah, hell yeah. It's been my plan for ages. Well, I wish you weren't going to hit 70 about 35 years before me. <laughs> <laughs> that's I'm, like, re- I'm there, man. I'm <laughs> on the program. We could have done it together. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it
1: probably won't last. I won't, I won't be able to wait for you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of more funny Tim stories, but I don't have them. Oh, My, this is a
1: long one. We should probably wrap this up. We just should wrap. We should wrap. You can go. You yeah. can go reminisce about him on um, pa- on Patreon. We'll do. On we'll pa- do
0: that. Oh, okay, I'll write something on Patreon. Yeah. About that. I'll think of something. Funny. You could even record something if you want and just uh, oh, blab yeah. it out there. That's true. Good idea, Brad.
1: The idea guy.
0: Look at that egg on your head. Good work. All so, right, I got to take these kids to a doctor's appointment. Well, good luck with that. Thanks, pal. Thank you, all fun. you
1: fans out there, and um, go, you know, follow Tim on Instagram.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and listen to Rise Against. Oh, please, if you haven't, hello, everybody. Everybody needs a little Rise Against in their lives and right Peg now. Boy. I actually don't forget Peg. Yes, Boy. and please listen to <laughs> Peg Boy. Actually, if you heard this interview and you have not heard Peg Boy, that is a all-time legendary band that you really shouldn't miss. That's a fact. And what's cool is, you know. There's a couple videos in Rise Against Catalog and some of the stuff that they talked about that's really, really relevant now, you know? Oh. Um, especially, particularly in the last few months. Yeah. So they're on to something. Tim's a smart guy.
1: He is very yeah.
0: smart. But you know so, that
1: because you just heard him talk.
0: Oh, yeah. You just heard him for a long time. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting us. And uh, we'll see you next week. Ciao.